And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we get to introduce you to the best of what's happening in podcast at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm H. McKay, where every week we have new podcasts to unfold, and this week to introduce you to a brand new member of the podcast family. We've got Mamas in Spirit helping this week to tell the story of a 19-year-old from Nashville that when diagnosed with cancer, her five older siblings returned home to support her. But little did she know she would support them in return as she prepared to go home to see Jesus at the age of 19. We're going to tell you the little flower of Nashville in this week's Mamas in Spirit on Catholics Coast to Coast. Welcome to Mamas in Spirit, a podcast pointing you towards God in everything you are and everything you do. I'm Lindy Wynn, and it's a blessing to be with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this gathering, this mini retreat in a podcast, this opportunity for us to take pause and to be still in the holy presence of the Lord. And I feel like I am called to say that to our beloved guest here with us right now, Haley Robinson Shevlin. Correct. Because Haley has three little boys and is doing work on her house, and her life is very chaotic right now. And she came here, and now we were sitting in my prayer room in the peace of the Lord. I'm like, just speak from your soul. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Lindy. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be in your peaceful prayer room. And I needed it today. And I needed you to say that. I'm like, just breathe, tell the story from my heart, not stress. (laughs) Yeah, she has this glorious book. We're going to be talking about her sister today. And this is her biological sister who is in heaven, Rosemary Therese. Yes. And this is so much at the heart of our sisterhood in Christ. And you have have been so blessed, Haley, to have a sister in Christ in your sister and such a profound reflection of the love, the goodness, and the mercy of God. Yes. And so we're going to be focusing on that today. So I just want us to come together as a family in the Lord, as a family in the Holy Spirit. We are all deeply tied and knit together as sisters and brothers in Christ. And in that spirit and in the Holy Spirit, let us begin in prayer. Dearest Lord, you show up for us in such big ways, yet you also show up for us in the tiniest of ways. And you also call us to show up for one another in the tiniest of ways, which can be so profound. You are always with us, Emmanuel, God with us. You are always calling us near, out of any chaos, out of anything going on in our lives, even things that are so difficult that we could never imagine how we'd ever get through them. Because Lord, you are that generous and you are that present. So Lord, we pray we tap into just that, into your holy, good, eternal spirit. And we ask for your blessing upon Haley as she shares exactly what you call her to share. In your name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So Haley, first of all, you are darling. You have such a beautiful spirit about you and I would love for you to start at the beginning of your story. Thank you. Yeah, the beginning. So it started in 2019. One of six children. I'm the oldest girl number two. My youngest sister, Rosie, was diagnosed with cancer, a really rare childhood cancer called rhabdomyosarcoma. And she was still a child when she was diagnosed with childhood cancer. She had just turned 17 and she was diagnosed with this cancer. And it it really floored us all. One, because she was incredibly healthy. She was a major athlete starting very young. She was very into running. She was a track star, ate healthy, took care of herself. And then she also was only 16. And so I think you just don't ever 
expect for something like that to happen to you. Like you see it happen around you and you just assume like, well, that would never happen to our family. Something like that. Like, oh, I'm so sad for them. I'll pray for them. Like, but honestly, you also think, thank goodness that's not us. Like I could never do that but that'll never happen to me. And so it really shocked our whole family. You know, she got her diagnosis and then actually all of my siblings came home because Rosie was the only one living at home when she was diagnosed. I have brothers that live around. One actually currently is in Rome, but then he was in Texas. Two were in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my other sister was in Chicago at the time. So I was actually the only one in Nashville when she was diagnosed. But the very same day, everyone was back home. The next day had flown in. One of my other brothers, actually Quinn, had come from seminary. He'd returned home. So he was there and it was just us. We were the only two there. We were waiting for the day she found out at the house. And I'll always remember she walked in the front door and I was just like, what do I even say to my just turned 17 baby sister that just found out she has cancer? And I had no idea what to say to her. She walked in the front door and she looked really tired. She'd had surgery. That's how they found out. You know, she had to have a biopsy of her face. The cancer was in her face. She looked so worn out and she looked at me and she said, well, no one can make me run cross country now and laughed. And I think that's like the beginning of how she chose to walk the entire two and a half years that she suffered and eventually passed away just with such humor and joy and faith. She was such an example to us. We always say how grateful we are for the perspective we now have, saddened by how we had to receive it, but like she forever changed me. She forever has changed how I view suffering, faith, life, just the the power of the human's own free will to choose. So yeah, she suffered a lot through her senior year of high school, her freshman year of college. She went to college. She refused to sit around feeling bad for herself. She went on chemo to UTC. She wanted to be a nurse. She just started studying. She wasn't going to ever let it stop her life ever. She never did. She kept living. And then eventually the cancer did reach her brain. And that was how she ended up passing away after slowly losing every single one of her bodily facilities. She passed October 23rd, 2021. So that's a very quick, short summary, but I feel like that really encompasses just an overall picture of the journey that we went on. It was a long one, but a a really fruitful, holy, and very sacred one. Yes. I love that you say holy, fruitful, and sacred. And I also love how it changed so much of how you perceive and wrap your mind, heart, and soul around living because living is filled with all kinds of dynamics. And like you said, you never expected this to happen to your family. So then for it to actually happen, that's like being hit by a train in a sense as a family, like that totally threw your family off the tracks of where you thought you were headed onto this entirely new journey and really journey of all of your souls together. Yet it sounds like this young soul, the little flower of Nashville, Rosie, and you gave me this bookmark, her smile radiates through this bookmark and you have that smile too. Oh, thank you. We look similar. She was such a joy, truly. Yes, yet it comes from it comes from the soul. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us, Haley, how did this change you, this journey with your sister? Like, can you dig in deeply when you talk about how you perceive things different now and, and your experience? Because you lost your beloved sister and you journeyed this with your family. What did that look like? And it's changed a lot of how I see suffering, I would say is like the biggest thing. Rosie was very determined not to like just wallow. Well, she never did. I think one of the most impressive things about it is she did not complain. She just wasn't going to. And a lot of what's in the book is actually her journal. That's the best part about the book is that it has her writings in it and they're incredible. And she didn't mean anything to be profound. They're all very simple, but they're profound because she just was very interior, even without realizing it. 
And I think something that always hit is she was just say like, I can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I react. And she chose, freely chose to react with hope and faith and trust. And even when she was having a bad day, she would really just go to her room and shut the door. She never put the negativity on us. And my mom always said like, this could have been way worse, but she prevented it from being that because she never complained. Because when she saw us, she smiled. We used to laugh because the Vanderbilt nurses loved her. She made friends with everybody. And one time she was literally throwing up and her nurse walked in and she looked up and smiled at him and he started to laugh and like she's vomiting but like so she smiled and it made him crack up but she was determined to help us she really wanted to prevent other people from suffering she very bravely instead of like staring at her cross and like trying to push it away and bemoaning it the image I like to say is she like bent down picked that thing up threw it over her shoulder walked and then we all followed her like she didn't need us to lead the way like she as this young girl she just let it she just decided how she was going to carry this cross and how she was going to suffer and she led the way and she wrote in her journal I'm not going to let this go to waste I am going to bring some good from all of this and then she also wrote she wasn't sure what she wanted to do with her story but if God could use it to help anybody she hoped that he would her writings were letters to God they were all letters to God she always ended them I love you Lord thank you for loving me which also touches me that she would say thank you for loving me when in that case I feel like so many people would be like, he must not love me. He must not even exist because of the level of suffering he's asking of me. Like older people, this was a 17 year old girl who was writing this. Like, thank you for loving me so much. You're so good to me. Like she always wrote that. And so I think that she's just forever changed how I view what it can be to suffer. And it it doesn't have to be negative. I get to choose how I suffer. I may not get to choose my sufferings, but I have the freedom and the willpower to choose to suffer well which is how she chose to suffer. This is so deeply moving because I hope it's okay to say that I asked you your age and you are now 31. I'm 31. (laughs) And this is very beautiful coming from you and and especially coming from your sister, Mm -hmm. from Rosie. And I can imagine for everyone listening and for myself, that's a little bit of a reality check. Yeah. Like how do I suffer and do I suffer well? And you used the word bemoan before. What a beautiful word. We don't hear that word very much. Like Mm -hmm. do we bemoan our suffering or... Or do we praise the Lord and thank the Lord and offer our suffering and and thank God for loving us and for all that we're blessed with? What a beautiful and glorious thing. And it moves me so deeply how you talked about her picking up her cross. And it's so cute to think about her spirited. She sounds very spirited. spirited. Yeah, spirited, 17-year-old redhead. Yep, she's a redhead darling. She had like a fiery ginger curly hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clearly meant to be like this whole picture with this radiant smile picking Mm -hmm. up her cross. And you basically, you were doing this visual of just like tucking it over, chucking it over. She she flung it on up. No hesitation. (laughs) She flung it on up. Didn't try and hand it to anyone else. Didn't try and give it back to God or just say like, can't do it. She just, she picked it up and she kept going. It's also deeply moving that you said that she would close her door when she was having having a hard time or like a hard day. Mm-hmm. That's also deeply moving to hear and to think of that from a child. Like I'm suffering and I don't want to put this on 
than anyone else, a word that often comes to me, and this is something that I really struggle with in our humanity when we do this and when we do this to one another is like, if I'm suffering or struggling or angry or upset or irritable or impatient, that I'm going to smear it on whoever else is there and especially on one another's family members, even roommates, like young people can think of roommates, like that can be very difficult. Yet, I'm sure we'd all think it was very understandable for anybody facing a very significant and painful illness, and especially a 17-year-old. Right. Yet she did not. No, she really, I, I don't even know how to describe what she did for all of us. She really wanted to protect us from pain, like until her final breath. She, and she even wrote that when her when she found out she had brain cancer. She said, Lord, my heart is broken for my family. Please help them. So like she was sad that we had to suffer. She had been diagnosed with brain cancer and told she doesn't have long to live. And one of the first First thing she writes is my heart is broken for my family because she just to be able to love that deeply to not worry that you're gonna have to die but also to be so merciful and empathetic to people around you to know that my mom would have to lose a child my dad that her siblings would lose their baby sister she was sad for us and so it's so moving to know like even though she had brain cancer she just always wanted to protect people she loved her friends her family she wasn't wanting to put pain on anyone else and I admire that so much because in doing that she carried even more pain you know, her cross became heavier because she was trying to lighten the crosses of other people. And it's so admirable to me. I just look back on her all the time. I'm like, where did you even come from? How do I be like you? Like she just, her cross was heavier because she wanted to make other people's lighter. And I will say there was only one person that ever got any of the negative emotions or like the sadness or even just silence. And that was my mom. But I actually think I think that's really symbolic and beautiful and that it almost represents Mary too. And it's like, it's the person that will love you no matter how you act, that can sit at the foot of the cross and love you anyways. And it's just, and I know as a mother, you get it, like the heart of the mother, like our souls should be formed to protect them. And I always was inspired by that, even seeing it, seeing how my mom gave her the one safe place where like my mom would carry the heavy cross too. But Rosie, even then, she really tried to protect my mom as much as possible. But there were those few moments where my mom got a part of the cross, but she was the only one ever, everyone else. Rosie lightened our crosses and made hers heavier. Can you dig into that more? I can try. <laughs> because, well, you're you're a mother now too. I am a mother. I was a mother when this happened. You were. Yeah, I had. I was pregnant with my third actually throughout part of it. I had two kids when she was diagnosed and then I became pregnant with my third throughout the journey. He was born and then... I guess he was less than one when she passed away. He's two now, but he was almost one when she passed. That's one of the most, like after just Rosie, that's probably one of the second biggest things that touched me was Rosie and my mom. And this is probably almost harder for me to talk about than Rosie. I just watched my mom live like every woman's worst nightmare, like your kid being diagnosed with cancer and then finding out just bad news after bad news, like it's metastasized. It's bad cancer. She's not going to live past five years, very small chance. And then she had to suffer a Lot. Her chemo was hard. Like she didn't have an easy treatment by any means. Like her suffering was very intense. And at the en- at the end of her life, it became incredibly intense. It was a lot. And that's just like the worst nightmare of every mom, right? Like, can you think of anything worse? And it's like, no. And I watched my mom walk through that with her. And it's like, she couldn't control it. She couldn't take away any of the suffering. There was nothing to do. Like you can't, I think as moms, it's like our kids suffering. It's like, okay, what can we do to help, to fix, to like take on the suffering? Nothing, nothing you can do. And then when she was dying and suffering so much, it was at that point, it's like the only way to escape the suffering is to die. So then it's also as a mom accepting the reality of, I don't want my child to suffer, but that means that they have to die. 
And I watched just my mom with such faith for years walk this path with her. And also, she, like I said, she was the only one that ever got even just a little bit of some of the hardship that Rosie was going through from Rosie, like directed at her. And she just with such patience and love, she was very devoted to Rosie, like her treatment, everything. She was at every appointment. When Rosie was in college, she traveled to Chattanooga for all of her chemos. But she also just, she encouraged her to go to college. You know, she just always encouraged her for life. She never tried to hold her back for herself. She knew like she has to live. Like she was, my mom was also always positive, always joking. Like they were both just these rays of light and they were carrying these heavy crosses. And then just at the end of Rosie's life, my mom, it was like, it was like she had a brand new baby again, like a newborn. And she slept on the floor of her room every night. We took shifts, but my mom was always in there. She never left. Just like constant at the foot of the cross, I would say for like probably... It was at least a month, like the solid, steady, serious decline. Like it started at the end of September. Rosie died October 21st. And it was just like a steady, a steady downhill the whole way. It wasn't even, it was just like a constant downhill. One thing after another, she was slowly losing her capacity for everything. And my mom was just always there. And the rest of us had to had to step away at some point. Like you just couldn't. My brothers worked out pretty much every day. My dad still had to work and they were just doing that. And me and my siblings, we would actually take shifts with her. But my mom never left. She didn't leave the house. She was just very, just always there. And it's hard to stare suffering in the face for long periods of time. It's like, okay, I have to look away. We all did. We had to walk away at some points. Like we just couldn't handle it. And my mom, 24-7, slept on the floor. I don't think she slept for like months because she, you know, you'd like nudge her a little and be like, mom, Rosie's breathing changed. And she would jolt like a newborn, like the baby cries you up. And so it was very much kind of like that, like the beginning of her life. And then the end, she required constant care and her mom was there to provide it. And then the last week of her life, I was struck. My mom wanted to hold her again. She asked to hold her and Rosie couldn't move at all by the end of her life. It started, she lost the use of her legs and then she slowly lost the use of her whole body over time. And so we kind of positioned Rosie and my mom got to hold her. It was really beautiful. Just the beginning and the end. And it, it reminded me of like the Pieta, like taken down, given to her mom. But just my mom's strength blew me away. It's my worst nightmare to have to live that. And then something else is that my mom was even given an out a little bit. They said they could up Rosie's morphine, like they, we could give her more and just really basically sedate her. And my mom would not do it. She would not take away her freedom. She would not do that to her. She gave her just enough to help with the pain, but she never would like knock her unconscious. Like she never would do it. She said she has to be able to express herself. She has to. And I admired that so much. Just her, just devotion in every aspect to her child, even when she could have possibly taken away all of Rosie's suffering. We didn't know Rosie couldn't speak. We really didn't know. And in that way, also take away some of her own. It's like, well, she can't feel anything. She's just sleeping until she, until she passes. And she wouldn't do it because she was so determined to respect Rosie's free will. And that was beautiful to me. And it, it makes me think of the free will of my children. It's like the extent that I will go to respect the gift that God has given them. Like I can't control them. I can love them. I can pray for them. But then also in a moment like that, like what would I do? You know, and I hope that I would do what she did. And instead of trying to like help myself, maybe I give myself comfort that I would really just respect them as their own person respect their will, their rights that are God-given. They have the right to express themselves. I don't want to make myself more comfortable at the expense of taking away something from them. Uh, And just the dignity that she upheld her life. It's so easy. People today, like we euthanize, we abort. You know, that's to me a little bit on the moral line of euthanizing, just a little. It's like, you know, you can't do that to a person. 
and and she just upheld her dignity in every single way the whole time because obviously Rosie couldn't go to the bathroom she couldn't bathe herself she couldn't do anything she couldn't brush her teeth and my mom did all those things and we all helped but my mom led the way with just such love for her daughter's body the whole time and I hope that I can treat my sons and every everybody but really even my own children with that type of dignity just so intentional to their person soul and body it's a lot it's so no it's so it is so deeply moving and I think you know how God wastes nothing and I don't actually listen to like a lot of other things and I listened to something about being embodied this morning for like five minutes or less and I now know why because before you said body and soul I what came to my heart was that your mom is loving Mm -hmm. nurturing respecting honoring the soul of Rosie Yes. That is embodied. Yeah, exactly. She honored her in every way possible until Rosie passed away. Faithful in every way possible. And I think she fulfilled her role as a mother. And she continues to because she goes to Mass every day. She has Masses offered for Rosie, even though I really believe she's a saint. She prays every day. Her and my dad pray the same prayer for the repose of Rosie's soul. It's the one we used to pray that for her miraculous healing. Now they pray for her soul. So she continues to fulfill her role as a mother. And I, I find it so admirable to watch her pray for her daughter's soul every day now because it's her job. She's her mom. She's praying she's in heaven. I think she is. But she still takes to heart that as her mom, it's now her duty to pray for her daughter's soul. And I admire it so much. That is deeply moving. And so your dad and your mom pray together every day for your sister. Every day. One of the things that you shared, and I think it was when we both started getting more emotional, was... (laughs) No, I tried. I was like, no, don't cry. (laughs) No, please. I mean, how can you not? At one point, I was like, how are we going to get through this? (laughs) I can usually do it because I love sharing Rosie's story. It's the parts with my mom. When I have to think about being a mom myself, that I'm like tears just remembering the two of them together i'm just like oh it's hard those beautiful beautiful painstaking yet glorious yes memories that you have one of the things that struck my heart of many as i'm sure everyone listening is when your mom let your sister go to college i'm gonna cry (laughs) because she knew that her time with her daughter might be finite Yes. I have an eight-year-old and I'm like, I don't even know how I'm only going to be able to do like a decade and a half of a year before this child (laughs) moves out if I'm so blessed and we're so blessed that, you know, she lives along. And because I think about this now because I do these podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Sadly, but true. Like this is very real to you. And like, I understand all of these dynamics more because I have had mothers on and now sister Mm -hmm. on who have lost their children or their sister and witnessed this with your mother who just sounds she sounds like a role model she of is. faith a role model is kind of a servicey word like she's showing a pathway of holiness for all of us like she's following the blessed mother and then we're hearing about your mother and that is giving us more insight in how to follow the blessed mother yeah she's a woman of incredible faith and I mean you read the book about Rosie you read Rosie's writings you think of her faith it didn't just come from nowhere I have parents of incredible faith. Rosie is a product of this faith. The fact that she attained, I truly believe, sainthood and that she lived this way wasn't just a coincidence, although God certainly gives the grace, but like she was formed. She was given the foundation and then she watched these two people she loved so much, her parents, live with amazing faith. Then she was confronted a situation where she had a choice and she chose great faith. 
because that's what she's always seen. Great faith in her mother and in her father. So glorious. And so many mothers listen to mamas in spirit. And we do have fathers that listen too. And so this is a sacred reminder an invitation to all of our hearts to remember this call to holiness and how most importantly, if we have children, our children are watching and they're watching intimately and they're watching even when they don't realize that they're watching because we share life together so closely. Can you talk a little bit more about that and about your parents because they're your parents too and you have five other siblings? So yes, I'm one of six. My mom had two miscarriages So there's now five on earth, three, I believe, in heaven. I'm happy to say that of all of the six children in my family, we're all practicing Catholics who still live by the teachings of the Catholic Church and live a life of faith, which is not the norm today, I've realized. It's the exception. (laughs) And that's also after facing profound tragedy. Yes. So I'll just go through really quick. My oldest brother, Brooks, is married. Beautiful wife. Her name is Lindsay. And then there's me, my sister, Grace, who lives here. My brother, Quinn, who lives in Wilmington, who went to seminary for four years to out. He's looking for a wife. He's single. <laughs> oh, you may get lots of emails. Hello? <laughs> Can all the single ladies hear me? Um, and then my brother Reed, who lives in Rome, he is on track to be a priest. And so he's at the knack and then Rosie. So yes, their faith has affected all of us. I mean, we had the boys that discerned priesthood and we've all stayed on track. I'm proud of each of my siblings for that. And I've also seen how their faith is their own, just like mine has become. Like it's not just something my parents gave me. It's my life. My heart brings meaning to everything I do. It's not just the Catholic faith my parents passed down to me. Like it was for a long time for a lot of kids raised Catholic, you know, and then there's this moment where it's like, I believe everything. I love my faith and I'm going to choose it every day now. And I'm proud that all of my siblings have done the same, but they just, part of it, I think a big part is of course my dad. He's a really quiet and humble man. He's not going to try and like be in your face. He's not going to bring up all of the hard conversations right away with you about faith stuff. It's just not who he is. But if something comes to light, like we would be in debates about things like gay marriage. That's actually the primary one we used to talk about a lot as a family. And he would chime in then. And it's like, oh, like my dad does have an opinion. He's just not one to be loud, to like push his way. I think it also impacted us that he's an incredibly hard worker. And so like we respect him very much and because we always saw he would do anything to provide for us. Like we're talking 3 a.m. paper route on top of his other job. Like he's just a hardworking man. And so he has the respect of his children. We respect him. And my parents have stayed married this whole time, which I think is a big part of it. My parents, my biological parents are still together. We all have the same parents. And we witnessed them pray together every morning. We were included in that, although we weren't always active participants. <laughs> And then the noon Angelus for everybody home. And then at night, and I think this is one of the biggest things, is we prayed the family rosary. Both my parents, all the kids prayed the rosary. Wasn't optional. I was, again, I didn't participate. (laughs) I was not the best participant. My siblings, we didn't always do it. But it always happened. Even if we like didn't want to, we pushed back. And I think that that actually, that that was then that Mary in turn has covered our family in grace for many, many years. And in our moments of need, she has always come to us. Like she has never left us. We even went to Lourdes with Rosie and she healed all of us in many ways, I think. And so I think that that 
was one of the biggest things we did was to say the family rosary every night and really entrust our family to her. And my parents obviously initiated that. The kids weren't like, oh, rosary time. You know, my parents every night were like, it's time for the family rosary. And we did it. Amen. Haley, I have delighted in having you. Thank you, Wendy. And God bless you and Rosie and all your family always. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to share her story. Oh, it's a great blessing. And thank you everyone for being here. This is Lindy Wynn with Mamas in Spirit. May God bless you and yours always. Hard to imagine saying goodbye to your daughter at the age of 19, but what an amazing story. That is Mamas in Spirit. If you want to hear the full conversation or previous episodes, make sure you check us out at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm Ace McKay. Going to take a quick break, but when we come back, a reason for hope helping us to have a great sit-down discussion as we find out ways to find out the modern interplay between the church and the world and then humanity's need for salvation. It's coming up next on Catholics Coast to Coast. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. All right, welcome to another episode of A Reason for Hope Candid. We got the Candid crew here, of course, with Dr. Ralph Martin, professor at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Still professor? Yep. Okay, I got that right. Research yep. is Haven't good. Haven't fired yet. There we go. Uh, <laughs> we'll see after this interview. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> also an amazing writer, uh, Crisis in the Church. We all read that book uh, as, yeah. a, as a group, um, I guess, last year. Mm. Um, and it's it's awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, good. Good to be here. I, I love being in northern New Jersey because I grew up here in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Went to Bergen Catholic High School in Oradell, and my parents lived in Montvale for a while. And so oh, nice. I've lost my Jersey accent, though, as you That's can tell. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, no, I went to St. Joe's, actually, and oh. I went to Bergen freshman year. Oh, yeah. So, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nice. very well. Small, yeah, small awesome. Very I'm small. even in the Hall of Fame at Bergen Catholic. Are you? Yeah, I don't think it was for my football skills. It must have been something different. Yeah, no, I think I'm in the Hall of Fame for. Uh, I think they called demerits jugs there, justice under God. So I may, I may be in the Hall of Records for that. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of detentions. Um, but yeah, I mean, they have like a one-way traffic rule. I don't know. Did they have that when you were there? You're yeah. only allowed to walk in one direction down the hall. Really? Even if your your classroom was right here. So I would try to cut, what? get caught, well, and then get a detention. Yeah. I, I forget, but in those days, wow. the brothers did uh, corporal punishment. Ah. And, and if you did something bad, you had to stretch out your hands, and they had a leather strap, and they really whacked Ooh. you really hard. It really hurt. And in those days, too, you didn't have, like, choice. Like, I wanted to play the drums in the band, and the brother said, no, you got to play the clarinet. I had to play the clarinet. But they needed a clarinet player, so that's what happened. Wow. So those are the days. Yeah. (laughs) We kind of do that at Array of Hope, too. Whenever Jimmy wants to not play the drums, we kind of slap him around. (laughs) (laughs) Make him sing. (laughs) But I will not play the clarinet. There you go. (laughs) We don't have a player, so please. That'd be great. Clarinet solo. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, let's let's get into some some questions. We uh we definitely want to pick your brain um about uh, many different things. Uh 
So I guess we'll go down the it's line. Slim and, pickings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's no. good. No. <laughs> no. Okay. So um, I was going to start off with just some questions of um, what do most Catholic Catholics not know? I feel like our generation, a lot of twenty somethings and thirty somethings, are kind of reverting back to their faith after almost being misinformed when they were going through Catholic school and catechesis. Um, and it actually deters you from the faith. But having learned working here, some of those things, it's like, well, I wish I was never taught that that way when I was a kid because now there's things that I have to unlearn. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll just run down this question really, this list really fast and see, see what your answers are. Um, could you cite or explain um, why the Eucharist is the real presence for somebody who was never taught that as a kid? Yeah. Honestly, I think it goes back to more fundamental misunderstandings. Sure. I feel like a lot of Catholics don't really understand what God revealing something to us really is and the mm. authority of it. So I feel like the number one priority really for Catholics to begin to understand what the faith is, is to recover their understanding of what sacred scripture is. That's mm. where it all starts and that's mm. where everything comes forth, all the Catholic doctrines come forth. Right. And so... Uh, a lot of people don't realize that what Vatican II taught about sacred scripture, which the church has always taught about it in a constitution of sacred revelation, it says that the primary author of sacred scripture is God. That's the book we want to read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? And it says he works through human authors, you know, using their culture, their language, their mentality, their psychology. But what he inspires them to teach is the word of God. It, it's revealed truth. And because it's coming from God, it has an authority that nothing else does, you know? Mm. And then in section 11 of the Constitution of the Church, it talks about, it says that everything asserted by the sacred authors should be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. And to teach faithfully, firmly, and without error those truths that God wished to consign to the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. So our salvation depends on actually paying attention to the revealed word of God. And everything else flows from that. that. That's where we get the doctrine about the Eucharist. That's where we get the doctrine about salvation, which is even more fundamental than anything else. Mm. So uh, I think it starts there. And then what that reveals to us is the unique status of Jesus. Like a lot of people are really like, people have warm feelings towards Jesus. You know, he's compassionate, he's kind, he's a nice guy, you know, type of thing. <laughs> he forgave the woman caught in adultery. But then they don't really notice that every time that Jesus extends mercy to somebody, he expects them to repent. Mm. You know, you know, you're forgiven. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more type of thing. And so mm. I think a lot of Catholics are very confused about how merciful Jesus is and not understanding that Jesus's mercy is this tremendous undeserved gift. Mm. It isn't like we're owed mercy. It's like he offers mercy. He offers forgiveness. And the fundamental suffering of the human race is sin. You know, it's, that's where death comes from. That's where suffering comes from. That's where broken relationships come from. And so the fundamental healing that God's come to brought to the human race is forgiving your sins are forgiven. You know, that's, that's really the fundamental thing that Jesus does, you know. And so uh, there's just so much that flows from that. But I just wanted to say that there's some really fundamental issues about who Jesus is, how we know what truth is, that kind of comes before these other, other, other questions. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a, a lack of talking about sin too. Mm -hmm. I, I remember talking to one of the um, uh, teachers at my parish for, for, for youth mm -hmm. catechesis, and he was talking to the youth about sin. And 
and you know how, how they're they're essentially born into original sin before baptism, and they were they were kind of confused. They mm-hmm. never like been, yeah. been told that before. Yeah. And so it's almost like we don't know. We're not raised uh, to know that we need mercy. Yeah. Essentially. No, exactly. I think that's really really true. I think that the the truth about original sin is being totally buried, neglected, denied. Yeah. You know, everybody's a good person. Yeah. Well, everybody's a beautifully good person created in the image of God, but something's gone wrong. You know, we, we really do share in that horrible rebellion against God that our first parents kind of went into. You know, you know, hey, if you do this, you're gonna die. Yeah. And then the devil whispers in your ear. Nah, he's he's not telling you the truth. You're not going to die. You know, mm-hmm. go ahead and do it. You'll be like gods. That's what's really going on in our culture today. I mean, the human race is falling for the same lie, saying, <laughs> "Yeah, we don't need God. We can be gods ourselves. We mm-hmm. can solve our own problems." You know, technology in a matter of years will make us all live forever. And you know, uh, yeah. you know, and medical science is advancing. You know, and whatever. And and if just the elite could control the world, we wouldn't have any problems anymore. You know, yeah. and if we could just solve global warming, I mean, everything is okay. You know, that type of thing. And it's just a big lie. And yeah. so there's really a massive rebellion against God that's going on right now. I mean, huge chunks of traditionally Catholic and Christian countries are saying, we don't need God anymore. You know, and it's really tragic. And, and, and they, it's rooted in the denial of our fallen condition that we, we don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, we don't desire right. You know, we all have kind of disordered desires because of original sin. And Jesus has come to heal us of those disordered desires and bring us into union with him so that the true image of God that he created us in can more and more come to the fore and the image of the devil, you know, recede. Do you think that spawns from a misinterpretation of we're made good in the image and likeness of God that people just pay attention to the first part, that we're made good. So then people think, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Right. And it's funny, uh, Dennis Prager was saying that, um, you, know, you know, oh, I don't, I didn't rob a bank and I didn't murder. It's like, okay, that doesn't make you a good person. It just doesn't make you a criminal. Right. So people kind of <laughs> yeah. go yeah. through life yeah. saying, well, I'm a good person and, I'm, and we're all born good. Yeah. He obviously challenges and says that we're not, human nature is not basically good because why else would we have the 10 commandments? We need to constantly cultivate goodness. Yeah. So there is goodness you're born with, but you have to constantly cultivate it. You're not just born yeah. good because otherwise, what would be the point of combating evil and, yeah. and you'd, you'd always do the right thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that, that gospel passage, you know, John chapter three, verse 16, that, mm. you know, the guy used to run around the stadiums holding that up and that type <laughs> of thing. It's a very short statement of the gospel, but it's really true. You know, God so loved the world. It's all about love. You know, we exist because we're loved. You know, the, the universe exists because God wants to share glory with us. God so loved the world, but he didn't leave us in our fallen condition. He didn't leave us in our rebellion and he doesn't want to leave us with death and suffering. And so God loved us so much, he sent his only son. So the means that God has established for us to be rescued from sin and death and suffering is Jesus. And then it says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So there has to be a response to Jesus. You know, we have to say, Jesus, I trust you to bring me out of this. I trust you to forgive my sins. I trust you to, if I believe in you and, and persevere to the end, that you'll raise me on the last day and I'll I'll be restored to my body and yeah. in glory, you know? And Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. But then that little phrase, those who believe in him will not perish. 
So the implication is that yeah. this is it. I mean, there's really something at stake, that Christianity isn't a game. It isn't just an optional spirituality. It isn't just a better way than Buddhism. It's it's the way yeah, that yeah. the Lord has established by which people can have eternal life and avoid perishing. So there really is a heaven and there really is a hell, and it really matters what our response is to the light that God gives to our soul. Yeah, just like jumping off of that point, I personally have never heard a homily that speaks into like the agony of hell or like the repercussions of our sins, which I don't know. I think there should be more of that, of course. But for some reason, I think a lot of um, secular people, non-believers, that's all they believe. Like all of the Catholic guilt that comes with Mm. being a Catholic. And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum. Jimmy tells a story of his Catholic uh, school experience where the confession, (laughs) the confessional was, yeah. yeah. You know, we were like made (laughs) to think that confession was punishment. Right. Mm. It's like, if you do something wrong, which is true, if you do something wrong, you should go to confession. But as a kid, it was just like this thing of like, oh, you felt so much shame because they made you feel shame around it. And now as an adult, it's like, man, I, I like want to go to confession. I need to go to confession. Mm-hmm. And it, right. you feel so good afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a thing that I had to, it took like a year to like mm-hmm. unlearn yeah. that yeah. and not feel like mm. bad going yeah. into it, but feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 100%. Yeah. yeah. I guess, how do we find a balance between like that fear mongering tactic and then also just like speaking truth about yeah. the reality of heaven and hell. Yeah, well, you just put a couple of really good issues out on the table. Um, guilt. Uh, there's mm. good guilt and bad guilt. Mm. You know, one of the Psalms says, as long as I kept my sin hidden, you know, my body wasted away, you know. So you know, guilt can be a sign that we've done something wrong. And it's, and then it's mercy. You know, it's, it's good that we feel guilty about doing wrong things. Yeah. And then... We know how to get rid of the guilt, you know, mm-hmm. by confessing our sins to the Lord. And if it's serious, going to confession. But then there's false guilt, there's wrong guilt, there's neurotic guilt, there's, you know, guilt that needs counseling, that needs healing, that type of thing. That's false guilt. Mm-hmm. But to kind of talk about guilt as bad, which which a lot of the world is doing today, is is absolutely it's cutting off salvation. It's yeah. cutting off mm-hmm. a little warning that the Holy Spirit's given us saying that this is not the right thing that you're doing. This is not the right path that you're taking. You really need to turn back. This is wrong. You're offending God and you're damaging yourself and other people. So yeah, mm. good guilt. Yay. It's it's mercy. It's God's provision reaching out to us, calling us back. Right. Bad guilt. Yes. Get counseling, whatever. Mm. <laughs> now, but the thing you raised about, uh, you you haven't heard very much about, about the consequences. Right. I think that's a huge, huge, huge problem. Mm-hmm. And I think most people, there's a, there's a line in Romans, I think Romans 11 that says, Paul says, consider both the kindness and the severity of God. Mm. Now, that sounds a little severe, but it's not. It's the kindness and the severity of God. And so for the last 40 or 50 years, actually since Vatican II, uh, we've been mainly hearing about the kindness of God, right? Yes. Mm. You know, God is loving, he's merciful, he's wonderful, you know, you know, you're loved, you know, affirming people. And that's that's really a part of the message, a very important part of the message. But there's consequences for not paying attention to what Jesus actually asked us to do. Mm. You know, if you say you love Jesus and God loves you, but Jesus says, if you love me, do what I'm asking you to do. You know, it's not enough just to hear the word of God. It says time and time again, we need to heed it. We need to obey it. Mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter five, it says, Jesus became the source of salvation for those who obey him. 
Now, obedience is not popular today, is it? No. 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 <laughs> Who wants to obey anybody, anything about anything? But unless we humble ourselves and mm. swallow our pride and submit ourselves to the Lord, we we can't, he can't bring us to where he wants to bring us. He can't bring us back to the Father's house. So there's consequences of not accepting the healing to our sickness and we will die, you know, eternally, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if we don't accept the medicine that God is offering us in Jesus. And uh, it's it's not true that every road leads to God. It's not true that every religion that people have constructed in their own mind is going to be salvific, you know? Mm-hmm. Buddha didn't die for our sins and rise again. Mohammed didn't die for our sins and rise again. Only Jesus did that. And only Jesus claimed to be the very word of God. And like in the gospel today, if you don't believe me, you're going to die in your sins. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe I am, yeah. if you don't believe who I am, my unique status is the very word of God, you're, you're closing yourself off to the mercy that God wants to give you. Yeah. So yes, if, if I were to describe how many of our Catholics look at the world today, it goes something like this. Broad and wide is the way that leads to heaven and almost everybody's going that mm. way. Mm-hmm. Narrow Thanks. is the door, difficult the road that leads to hell, and hardly anybody's going that way. Now, I know you array of hope people are Bible-believing Catholics. Yes, sir. So, so <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? It's opposite, right? Yeah. Now, that's a little scary that yeah, yeah. most Catholics are believing something is the very opposite yeah. of what Jesus says. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 13 and 14, Jesus says, broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. Mm-hmm. And many are traveling that way. Narrow is the door that leads to life, difficult road, and few there are who are finding it. But we're not fundamentalists. So we need to take all the scripture about this together and what the church teaches about it. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God wills the salvation of the whole human race, but people have to avail themselves of that salvation, you know? And uh, it's pretty striking that Jesus would say that. You know, some people say, well, that's how it was in Jesus's day. But that's pretty significant because this was, these were the chosen people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, these are the people who have been specially chosen by God. And then Jesus wept because his own people weren't responding to him. And he said, because of that, you're going to suffer the consequences. You know, the, the Roman armies are going to arrive. They're going to surround the city. They're not going to leave a stone standing upon a stone. And in 70 AD, that exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem and a million people died. That's the severity of God. There's consequences. It isn't like God wants anybody to suffer, but people choose suffering and bring suffering on themselves when they remove themselves from the blessing and protection of God. Mm. You know, like Moses said before he died, he said, hey, this way is life and this way is death. This way is blessing. This way is curse. From the very beginning to the very end of the Bible, there's a division, you know, and the Lord doesn't want so many people to be heading towards the destruction, but that's where evangelization comes in, right? Yeah. You know, that's where prayer and, and sacrifice comes in. That, that's where intercession comes in. That's where us lay people coming alive in Christ, reaching out to others and caring about their salvation comes in. And I don't think there's going to be any serious response to the church's call to evangelization until we recover the fact that there's real consequences to not believing and not obeying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And making the connections, like, you know, when you, when you are experiencing suffering, trying to think about like, where, where is this coming from? What did I do in the past yeah. that like led to this essentially? Yeah. Um, you were talking about the roads, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, the narrow and the wide road. It reminds me of uh, St. Faustina's diary. Yes. She has that 
crazy vision, which is essentially the same thing, but yeah. a little more vivid of yeah. the wide road full of beaches and joy and fun yeah. and music yeah. and singing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they reach the end of it and there's this huge abyss yeah. and the people drop off yeah. into hell essentially. And then there's yeah. the narrow road, yeah. which is full of rocks and yeah. and 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 treacherous hazards. Yeah. People are stumbling and, and getting hurt and suffering. But then they reach the end and there's this garden. Yeah. And they forget about all their sufferings. I'm really impressed that you know that text from St. Faustina. Well, I, it, it's these very, guys know I'm reading. He's the, wearing a buttoned-up yeah. shirt. I got, I got yeah. Faustina he's, right he's here. Yeah. Yeah. He's no. cheating. Yeah. No. Where's the teleprompter? No. <laughs> most, most people don't know that important aspect of what Jesus told St. Faustina. You know, the, the main message of the divine mercy revelations and devotion is God is so merciful that the greatest of sinners should not hesitate to come to the Lord for forgiveness. You know, God's so eager to forgive the greatest of sinners. But if people don't come and humble themselves and say, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, they're going to fall off the edge, yeah. you know, that type of thing. And, and that's, a, that's an exact description of Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. And there's so many texts in, in St. Faustina's revelations like, Section 741, the Lord sends her an angel to take her on a vision of hell, a tour of hell. Mm. And says, write it down so nobody can say it doesn't exist and nobody's ever been there. You know, so so one of the things the Lord's trying to do in Our Lady of Fatima with St. Faustina and just so many others, she's trying to say, believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus says. It's real. You know, mm -hmm. you know we're, we're get, being shown mercy by the Lord trying to remind us of the revealed truth of the word of God. Yeah, so I'm, I'm impressed that you know that really. Not too many people do. Well, I, I have Mario to thank for inspiring me to read the diary. So, But a lot of people read the diary and don't, don't notice that. Well, I, I've yet to get to the section you're talking about, the vision of hell. That that sounds wild. So yeah, well, what you got about the two ways is pretty powerful. Like yeah. you say, it's a very vivid. It's amazing. Yeah. How, how, so, what's your guidance, Doctor Martin, in terms of making sure, knowing that we're on that narrow path? Because I mean, a, a lot of your work is 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 based in spiritual um, progression yeah. and spiritual uh, evolving and progressing in the spiritual life, growing closer to that beatific vision. Yeah. How can we know, because you were talking about suffering too, and, and you know, obviously God doesn't want us to suffer, but because we're in a fallen world, a fallen universe, now suffering has entered in. Yeah, and, and he permits suffering, and he, he's ready to accompany us through suffering. I mean, you know, all of us are programmed to die because of sin, you know, yeah. You don't know it yet, but you're programmed to die. You know, that type of thing. All of me. All of us. All of us. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't know what you're going to die from, but you already have a terminal disease. You know, mm, probably the doctors in Jersey aren't really keen on telling you that, but that's, look at the Bible. That's true. You know, if you do this, you're going to die. So we're going to yeah. die, you know? But death for a Christian can be really a doorway to paradise, you know? Mm. But if we die in our sins, we're separating ourselves forever from God, you know, and that's that's not a happy state to die in. So, yeah. Uh, but I didn't really respond to your question. So. <laughs> yeah, like, like knowing, um, yeah. discerning essentially yeah. that we're on the narrow path. Yeah, right. Well, the narrow path is Jesus. And one, one of the things that Francis de Sales says, he says it appears to be narrow in the initial stages of conversion, you know, it is painful to turn away things we were clinging to for mm -hmm. satisfaction or fulfillment that 
were disordered. Uh, and it's the, the process of the initial purification, the initial turning away from serious sin, mm. the initial kind of freeing ourselves from relationships that weren't right relationships is painful. So Francis de Sales says, you know, the narrow way appears as narrow and painful in the initial stages of conversion. But then once you kind of get through those initial stages, it's like you're on a beautiful path, you know, and yeah. the, the path is Jesus. You know, Jesus, the narrow way is the person of Jesus and the person of Jesus, all the riches and treasures of God are put in Jesus. So there's this immense treasure, you know, awaiting us, you know, yeah. in Jesus. Yeah. But one, one of the things I like to tell people is that Catholicism isn't just a flat, boring, stable thing where you're hatched, matched, and dispatched, you know, mm. where you're baptized, married, and buried, you know, <laughs> but it's like supposed to be a journey, you know, whatever mm. deeper union with God, ever deeper conformity to his will. And, and Jesus, like in the gospel today, it says, you know, if you are my disciples and you uh, live according to my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if we begin to obey the Lord and his word and go through the struggle of turning away from serious sin and other sins, sorry for stepping on your foot. <laughs> we will come to understand the faith, you know, in a, in a way that actually frees us you know, uh, you know, and then it frees us to love, frees us to praise, frees us to give. Mm -hmm. Most Catholics are afraid to love, afraid to praise, and afraid to give. Mm -hmm. So they really need to kind of enter onto the spiritual journey. And it, it all begins with, with conversion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Catholics are used to like a very lukewarm vision of Catholicism, like, yeah, going to church on Sunday, yeah, you know, type of thing, and sending your kids to Catholic, getting kids baptized. But it's supposed to be a living relationship that just goes on and on. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so a lot of Catholics need to wake up to the fact that they need to go through a certain conversion that, that makes the word of God come alive to them. They need to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they need to get connected to other people who want to make this journey together and because it's really hard to do all by yourself. So, so anyway, yeah. I've written this book, you know, The Fulfillment of All Desire. It's beautiful. A yeah, guidebook yeah. for the journey to God based yeah. on the witches and saints. And it talks about all those stages of spiritual growth and all that kind of stuff. But the important thing is just to know that there's more. Never settle for where you are. There's always more. Mm -hmm. There's always more of the Lord. There's always more freedom. There's always more understanding of the truth. There's always more participating in the mission. Uh, of Jesus wow. to seek and to save those who are lost. Well, the interplay between church and the world, really something that makes a lot more sense, thanks to the team at A Reason for Hope. If you want to find out more about this week's podcast or future or previous episodes, easy to find, Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And as we get into a new week, great way to do that is with today's Mass reading with this week's Word on the Word. This week, we're taking a look at a passage from Philippians. In it, St. Paul says to do nothing selfish and to look to the interest of others. He also says that Christ is the perfect example of humility. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked on this earth among ordinary people. And he, the only divine human being, loved us as sinners so much that he gave his life for us. This should make you stop and ask yourself, if Jesus gave up everything for me, what am I willing to give up for him? When talking about humility, one modern-day saint generally comes up, St. Teresa of Calcutta, or Mother Teresa. This week, we challenge you to read her list of ways to be humble 
and try to adapt some of them into your life. Catch us next week here on EWTN. Bye. Bye. Always great to get creative insights into God's Word. And if you went to Mass this morning, hopefully the Word on the Word helps to make sense of just that. If you want to find out about that or any of the podcasts that you hear each week, check us out, Podcast Central at EWTN.com. And also don't forget to click on Best of the Rest. You can find out even more and deeper conversations to help your walk with God. I'm Ace McKay. That's going to wrap things up. Have an amazing week. And remember to let God define who you are. And I'll see you again with Catholics Coast to Coast.